Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, let's get started in Chapter 18. Now... John identifies the place as simply an olive grove. Were you surprised and alarmed to not see the word Gethsemane? The other Gospels use the word Gethsemane. But it is not here. However, Gethsemane was an olive grove. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's not a conflict. It's just, for some reason, John chooses not to use the word Gethsemane. Uh, the word Gethsemane means olive press. So, of course, you've got olives. Rather than take them to a factory somewhere, you have the press right there and you manufacture the olive oil right there. So, uh, pretty, pretty good sized area. So, I, I say all of that to dispel the myth that we probably have of when we think garden, we, th- we think petunias and, and roses and, and, and daffodils and, and daisies, right? It wasn't that kind of a garden. This was a functional garden of olive what, bushes, trees, whatever all of them grow on, I have no idea. You know, pull them out of the ground, I don't know what it is. But, you know, that's, but that, that, that was the purpose of this area. But a secluded, quiet, meditative place. They are. Good, thank you. I, I, I thought so, but I wasn't sure. I can see them on a bush as well. <laughs> I thought it came in a jar. Yeah. <laughs> And, 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 and why, why is the, the process of placing something in a jar and sealing it, you know, vacuuming, see, putting a lid on it, called canning? You're putting it in a jar. It should be called jarring. It's like, see, English language drives me nuts, so I'm telling you. I just, it's wrong on many, many accounts. So they go there and re, recall that way back when, when it says that they left the upper room, that it seems those the last two chapters have been Jesus teaching along the way, and now they finally arrive at Gethsemane. And being there, uh, John does not go into all the detail of the prayer uh, that we find in other Gospels. Um, yeah, so it, it, it's a, a different way of looking at it, and apparently it's not necessary to put the same thing down four times. Uh, you know, John comes at it from a, 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 a different angle, and he goes immediately to Judas, coming to him and uh, identifying him that you know he is the one you want now John really has a unique perspective here because it, this is really powerful and and dynamic so by, by verse 6 the Roman guards and Jewish guards arrive and Jesus asks them who do you want and the response comes Jesus of Nazareth now remember this particular fact because we're going to come to it again at the end of the end of the chapter but Jesus responds by saying, I am he, right? I am God. And the guards seemingly are pushed back and knocked to the ground upon hearing that word. I mean, it, it was a physical effect. As they're coming toward Jesus, they're, 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 uh, they're pushed back. They, they drew back and fell to the ground, right? I mean, there was some type of weird thing that... 
that happened there. The, the, God seemed, the guards seemed to respond with a, a holy fear, as well they should. They, they seem to understand that they're in the presence of the Lord. Now, pay particular attention to the fact that Jesus is not hiding from the guards. He doesn't push the other disciples forward and kind of crouches down behind them. And it's dark, so they can't see him. Jesus takes the lead and walks forward, and he's the one who confronts and talks to the guards. He doesn't have somebody else do it, do it for him. I, I, I think that's significant. But Jesus comes back and asks again. and makes the guards say two times, Jesus of Nazareth. Because as we're going to see later, Jesus is very concerned about the safety of his friends. So he's trying to get them to declare that we only want you, Jesus. Not the whole group of you, just you. Very, very critical. So Jesus in verse 8, Now I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. Verse 9. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Now, we're in a little theological quandary here because one of the twelve, Judas, well, let me ask a question. Did Judas get lost? Okay. Good answer. Now the harder question. How did he get lost? Okay, keep going. It wasn't Jesus' fault. Right. So, in fact, he, he was never in. Yeah, there, there, there's no evidence that, that Judas was you know, a true believer, a true follower, a true whatever. He was always on the periphery. He was always stealing money. He was always, you know, looking out for himself. So, you can't lose what you didn't have, right? <laughs> so, you see what I'm saying? So, he had the other 11. Remember, he already declared them after Judas left at the Last Supper, uh, you're, you guys are all clean. You're knuckleheads, but you're all clean. You're going to get it here in a couple days. It's fine. Yeah, we, can, we, can, we can wait this out. But you know, it's, I think, a real critical point. So when we talk about you know, being lost and found, you can't get lost until you're found. <laughs> right? So Judas just never, never bought, bought into it. In fact, back in 1712, Jesus declared that only Judas got lost. So again, this reinforces it now in, in chapter 18. Verse 10, Then Simon Peter had a sword, drew it, and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. Now, John Innersley names the servant. Why? I don't know. He's kind of a incidental character. I mean, I'd be fine with... Uh, there's a bunch of other names I'd like to know, but we don't get them, but this guy's name is Malchus. Okay? Uh, but interestingly, John does not tell us that Jesus reached down, picked up the ear, and, and healed it. The other Gospels tell us that. So again, it just... You know, John is focusing on different things here. and But when we put it all together, we get a much more complete picture of this scene and the crucifixion and, and everything. <coughs> and as Jesus commonly did, yells at Peter. Now, you've you got to go back to... Jesus has already identified the hour has come. He's already identified. I'm going to Jerusalem to die on the cross. This is the plan. 
Now go back even further to in Matthew's gospel as Jesus you know, talks to the disciples and said, you know, who, who's the crowd say that I am? And they say, oh, you're John the Baptist, reincarnated, you're this, you're that, you're, you're Ezekiel, whatever, uh, you know, all these prophets and all that. And he, he looks and says, well, who do you say that I am? And only Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the, the most high God. Yay, ding, ding, ding. And that's when Jesus says, then you get the keys to the kingdom. In other words, you're, you're going to be in charge. And then Jesus says, this is months before where we are now. But months before then, Jesus, the next thing out of his mouth is, then we're going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to go there, and I'm going to die. I'm going to fall into the hands. I'm going to turn myself into the the hands of sinful men, and they're going to kill me. And that's when Peter declares, I will stop this. And you remember what Jesus said after that? Get behind me, Satan, right? In other words, this is the plan. You're trying to thwart the plan of God. That's sin on your part. Even though it looks like you're trying to protect me, you're not. You're stopping what God wants to happen. The will of God. And that's why he yells at him here. Say he pulls out a sword and he's trying to defend Jesus. Trying to push the, the, the guards away and get Jesus out of there to safety. That's what he's trying to do. No, this is the purpose. And that's why he yells at him. Stop it. Put your swords away. And according to the other disciples, this is the point then, after Peter gets yelled at, that the, they just all scatter. Um, now, it's I- I- interesting that, that, that John, John and Peter must have been pretty good friends, because John really focuses on, on Peter. I mean, even at the tomb, you know, it's Peter and John who go, and you know, John outraces them, or you know, Peter outraces them, but then John comes, and you know, they looks in and all that. And so it, it's, it, they, they seem to be doing a lot together. So in verse 12 now, we're, we're going to do something interesting. We're going, to, we're going to take little scenes of Jesus in his trial and Peter in his trial. <laughs> uh, as three times he denies Jesus, then Jesus has an opportunity to you know, be before you know, the, the, the priest and, 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 and Pilate and, and all of that. So John splits it. Rather than follow one completely through, he's kind of bouncing back and forth which is an interesting literary style. Now, we all know that Caiaphas is the high priest. That's who Jesus should have been taken to. But he's taken to a guy named Annas, which is really interesting. Because Annas has no official capacity. But he had a lot of power. So here's the history. Annas is the father-in-law of Caiaphas. Okay, there's a connection there. But the important history is that Annas was in fact high priest from 6 to 15 AD. So 14 years before where we are now. Again on the calendaring, Jesus was 33 years old when he died, but this, this is 29 AD according to our calendar. So, 14 years previous, Annas had been high priest. And the, the governor that was in Pilate's place, it wasn't Pilate, but the, the governor that was in that, that role removed Annas from being high priest and told the Jews, pick somebody else. Didn't, didn't like Annas. 
But now, with the hatred of the Romans, the Jews had, that was almost like a martyrdom. I mean, that really elevated Annas' position that you know, he, he suffered, so we still consider him, even though the Romans removed him, we still consider him our high priest. So, really, in the, in the structure of things, the people looked to Annas, they went to him first. So Caiaphas was more of a, a puppet. He was just the, the, the figurehead in, in, in that position. So Annas is the power behind Caiaphas. <clears throat> Although it was, John notes, that Caiaphas was the one who came up with the plot to kill Jesus. We've got to get rid of him. It's better for one man to die than for the entire nation to, to die. So we're introduced to that scene, and then we shift over to, in verse 15, over to Peter. So Simon Peter and another disciple. Well, I could do without Malchus' name. Tell us who this other disciple is. Holy cow. See, that's what I mean. It drives me nuts. Just tell us who it is. So now we have to ponder and speculate and look at a you know, thousand other verses and try and piece together who this other disciple is. And it's so weird because this disciple was known to the high priest. Now, a common fisherman would not have access or know the high priest. So, we're in a real quandary here. Who in the world is this? John often identifies him, does not call himself by name, calls himself the beloved disciple. Uh, as we get to the tomb, uh, it's, it's, it's Peter and another disciple in that, in that sense. And then as you read through it, you certainly understand then that he is talking about himself. So it does seem likely this is John. But how could a lowly fisherman have access to the high priest? Well, you have to go back to the original calling of the first disciples in uh, uh, Mark's gospel. Mark 1, it identifies Zebedee as a man of wealth. He had hired servants. So I guess there is a good chance that you know, Zebedee you know, moved in social circles with the high priest and took John as a boy to some of these social functions or whatever, and John had some, some familiarity or access to the high priest. So what John is describing here is then Let's, let's assume it's John. John walks up. Guy opens up the door and you know, recognizes John right away. Says, come on in. Peter, nope. You stay out. We've got to interrogate you. We've got to question you. We've got to you know, find out who you are if you are a, a threat or a danger, a terrorist, whatever. So uh, Peter's stuck outside. <coughs> but then finally, Peter does get access to go in, but now doesn't know what to do. And knucklehead that he is does the one thing even I would have thought of not to do. There's a bunch of people over there. Now, this is probably 5 o'clock in the morning. I mean, still darkish. And, I mean, there's some guards around and a few other officials and whatnot milling around. But there's a group of them around a fire getting warm. So, was, you know, night was cool. And Peter goes over there. Let me hang out with some people. <laughs> What a moron! Why would you do that? Because this is exactly what what happens. And you know, in in that, you know, the 
the the first occasion the uh, the girl doing the interrogating you know says you're you're not one of his disciples are you well okay no <laughs> okay you're good come on in <laughs> As a woman was guarding the door. Yes, exactly. That to me didn't sound likely for back then, but just strange. So Peter's there warming himself. So we have one denial already. Mm-hmm. All right. Now let's go back to Jesus. All right? You see how we're going 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 back and forth here. So the Look, look what John does in verse 19. The high priest questioned Jesus. He's still with Annas. Again, he has no official title, but the people still consider him to be the high priest. So he doesn't get to Caiaphas for a couple more verses yet. So he's still with Annas. So John says, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Then in verse 20. Jesus responds to the inquiry by stating that he has done nothing in secret and has spoken openly and freely to everyone. Jesus actually suggested that Annas ask those who heard him speak. Now, that would have certainly come across, and maybe there was a tone of sarcasm in Jesus' voice, but the, you know, the people there certainly picked up on, <laughs> on that. And uh, uh, one of the other Jewish officials in the room strikes Jesus. Uh, for the way that he spoke to to Annas. Now, how dare you speak to the high priest this way? Now, in this scene with Annas interrogating Jesus, this is much like a police interrogation. This isn't a trial. This is an interrogation, which is what happens the first stage after a person is arrested. You bring them and you sit them down in the police barracks and you, know, you, you question them. That's what this is. So Annas takes on that role. Again, nothing, he has no official capacity here, but for some reason, he's a good interrogator. And Annas can't render a judgment against Jesus, but Annas certainly could serve as an eyewitness against Jesus. Again, the most revered and respected guy in town that, you know, he would be the one brought into the courtroom scene and yep I talked to Jesus and he confessed that he's the son of God or he's this that or the other thing and you know, that would be enough to carry the day so that's his goal is to try and get Jesus to slip up and say something incriminating now although Jesus has been accused by the crowds and the Pharisees of being a false prophet now Annas is trying to unearth some secret plot Jesus has to entice or deceive the people so he comes at it from a different angle. You know, Jesus has clearly identified what he's all about, but Annas is trying to get him to, to admit that he's doing something subversive. In particular, ideally, something against the state. Because you've got to keep in mind, the Jews do not have power of execution. Only the Romans have the power of execution. So no matter how bad... Uh, a religious crime a Jew did they could not execute and so a religious crime brought to a Jewish religious crime brought to the Romans the Romans would look at that and say well I don't care <laughs> right and we're going to see that dialogue going on that the Pharisees finally get smart and say that well you know we can say that Jesus is a bad guy according to our religion but you don't care so now we have to trump up some charge that he's 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 an insurrectionist now he's doing something against your power pilot, and more importantly, against the emperor. And that's why he needs to be executed. 
we'll see that unfold here shortly. So Annas is trying to trick Jesus into saying something like, you know, that could be taken as, you know, he's, you know, he's, he, he's plotting against the state. <clears throat> so at this point, obviously, there are no witnesses against Jesus. And so look what Jesus does. When that other official strikes him, Jesus turns directly to him. He addresses the official and says to him, Why you hit me? If you have some witnesses, then bring them. Let's hear their testimony. But if not, stop hitting me. <laughs> right? <coughs> now verse 25. Now finally Jesus is taken to Caiaphas. And as that transition happens, then we're going to shift back to Peter's next two denials. Now, verse 26 is an interesting detail that's only found in John. The third person to interrogate Peter is Malchus's relative. That's why we have his name. <laughs> right? Makes it easier to identify who he is. And apparently since this person recognizes Peter, had to be part of the guards, the crowd that came out to arrest Jesus. You're the guy that cut my, 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 my cousin's ear off. Whoops. Now, the being an eyewitness to that would be one thing, but this is compounded. Why people keep coming to Peter is because we're in the south, Peter, Jesus, and a bunch of others are from Galilee in the north. And there was a skin pigment difference between those in the north and those in the south. Those from the north were much darker complected. And Peter, it seems as though, at least tradition tells us, was a rather tall man. So he stood out like a sore thumb. So here, darker complected, tall guy, even though it's dark, you know, this guy can pick him out in a crowd. <laughs> it's like, aren't you the big big guy who pulled the sword and cut my cousin's ear off? Yeah, it, it was easy to identify him. But in both these occasions, Peter continues to deny it. And then, of course, verse 27, at that moment, a rooster began to crow, just as Jesus said it would. But to see what John is doing, Jesus stands before his accusers and denies nothing. While Peter denies everything. But hang on. We get to chapter 21. Peter is going to have a chance to redeem himself. Jesus is going to offer him three opportunities to take back all three denials. That's one of the most beautiful scenes in, in, in all of scripture. So, you know, Jesus did that for Peter, and I am absolutely convinced would have been more than willing to do that for Judas. But Judas took his own life and did, did, you know, lost all hope and didn't give a chance for, for that to happen. Again, he was, he was never in. He didn't understand uh, you know, what, what Jesus is all about. He was there and heard the words, but never, never believed any of it. <coughs> Denied everything. So now we're, we're in the process of moving from Caiaphas to Pilate. Now, Pilate is an interesting character. And most people believe Pilate was a really bad guy. 
Pilate's not the one that's responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus. I mean, can you not see how many times Pilate tries to get him off the hook? I mean, he sees something in Jesus. And in fact, you know, Christian tradition says that, that quite a few years later, Pilate actually did become a Christian. So moved by this occasion. But at this moment, Pilate is there as governor of Jerusalem because he is the fifth governor in ten years. Because the Romans, the emperor decided that these people are so unruly, they kept rioting, they kept doing all kinds of things. So every guy was, was tougher, more violent, more gruesome than the previous. Pilate is stage five. They upped the awfulness. Five levels. So, I mean, Pilate was known as a butcher. They just, you know, especially with the Jews, any coin toss, off with his head. I mean, it was just, there was no question. He just, he was brutal. And all the, the history, the Roman history bears that out. I mean, he was a bad dude. But yet, notice how soft and compassionate and understanding and, you know, he is. I mean, it's, 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 it's incredible. Verse 28. Now, John identifies that the Jews stayed outside the court. That's just telling us that, you know, as, you know we just celebrated Passover, and, of course, now Friday is the day of preparation for the Sabbath. So if you, if you touched Gentile soil, and so that area, although in Israel was still designated as Roman, therefore it's a Gentile area. If they stepped on in, inside the court, they would defile themselves and not be worthy to, to celebrate the Sabbath. So they stay outside and make Pilate come out to them. Huh. How fun is that? So Passover was actually a seven-day celebration, which started Thursday night and then continued for the next week. So basically they would be unclean for the whole next week and miss all the parties and everything else and have to go stand in the, stand in the corner and eat worms. So, yeah, they don't want to do that. So they stood outside and apparently Pilate understands that as well. And Pilate comes out and asks him, what charges are you bringing? I mean, I've been talking to this guy. I don't see anything wrong with him. Give me a charge. And the Pharisees respond with, well, we would not be troubling you unless this guy's a really bad criminal. <laughs> Still, very vague, nothing. Give me something specific. Verse 31. Pilate begins to help Jesus. And he says, go try him in your own court. Now again, they had no power to execute. And that's really what they wanted. So Pilate's trying to help Jesus. Now, I strongly suspect that at, at Jesus' arrest, the soldiers that were there, the head soldier, came and informed Pilate what had happened. How Jesus so willingly went along with them, and you know, actually when you know, Peter cut Malchus's ear off, he picked it up and put it back on his head. And, you know, I mean, he was, he's the nicest guy you'd ever want to meet. Uh, so it's obvious that Pilate quickly deduces that there's something between these Pharisees and Jesus, but this is an internal Jewish squabble. This has nothing to do with me as Roman governor. 
And so that's Pilate just keeps trying to, you guys go take care of it. I don't want any part of this. But they keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. Because they must have a capital offense charge brought. You think it'd be a little more organized because they're, they're <coughs> floundering at this point. They don't know what, what to say. So Pilate goes to Jesus, verse 33, and asks a question. Are you the king of the Jews? Now that's a loaded question. See what Pilate does? He's bringing in the state issue. Because that's all he cares about. Are you somebody I need to be concerned about? <laughs> Let's have a conversation. Very open-ended question. In Luke's gospel, we discover that the Jewish court, the Sanhedrin, specifically brought the charge of sedition against Jesus, knowing that that would get Pilate's attention. And we're going to see that unfold here later. But, you know, Luke just jumps immediately to that. I mean, that's... They, they figured it out. I mean, actual quote here... You know, the, the, the Pharisees say, we have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Christ a king. I like those charges, Pilate. Pick one of them. I mean, either one is worthy of, of execution. And so they double it at that point. Verse 34. As Jesus so often does, he throws the question back to Pilate. Now that's, that's a bold move. <laughs> I mean, wow. And Jesus asked him, is that your own idea or did others talk to you about me? <laughs> Just notice nobody hits him here. Right? So verse 35, Pilate responds by indicating again that he believes that this is a Jewish squabble. Yeah, am I a Jew? I'm not gonna get involved in this. You guys go take care of it. But Pilate is trying to determine what kind of king Jesus is. <coughs> you see? That's, he's got to get him to say that I am soon to be king of, of Israel. Which means I'm pushing the Romans out. I mean, he's got to get him to say something clearly incriminatory. And so he's, he's kind of baiting Jesus to, to say something. But if, if Pilate determines that Jesus is just designating himself as some type of Jewish king, Pilate couldn't care less. This has been a whole lot of nut jobs. Every other week there's another guy saying he's the Messiah. I mean, it's just, you know, there's all kinds of crazy going on in, in this particular time. And Pilate got used to it. So Pilate's only going to get involved if he determines Jesus is the kind of king who is trying to assemble an army to push the Romans out. Then and only then. That's the only thing that's going to get his attention. Verse 36. Jesus really helps Pilate out and gives the definition. My kingdom is not of this world. Now, in Pilate's mind, the case should be closed. He should have stopped there. Because there's no threat against the Roman state. It's not of this world. I don't care what world it is. Doesn't affect me. Adios. Interestingly, again, Pilate would, would have been aware that Jesus fixed Malchus's ear. Not only is he not a threat to the state, he's actually helped one of our people. Verse 37. 
Pilate should have left well enough unknown, but he continues to probe. So you are some kind of king? He's pushing. What kind of king are you talking about? Verse 38. Since Jesus has just identified what his kingdom is not, now Jesus identifies what his kingdom is. And his kingdom is truth. In other words, a non-tangible, <laughs> non-physical entity. And again, that's what Pilate's looking for. Pilate's looking for a physical army. Jesus is talking an abstract thought. My kingdom is truth. And of course, Pilate's very famous question, what is truth? Now, I believe, as I've talked to people for many, many years now, that that is the question on every unbeliever's mind today. They are simply unbelievers because they have not found the truth. They're looking for it. They're trying all these different religions and all these combinations, and they're trying, you know, they're trying everything to discover what the truth is. And that's really the purpose of every religion. Come join us because we have the truth. That's what they all say. And so, yeah, people fall into all these different categories, they, but people are searching. Pilate is asking the question that is universal in humanity. What is truth? Now, the interesting part of this is we need to understand that we have the truth, right? We have the understanding that you know, the Holy Spirit is in us, granting to us this truth that Christ, Christ lived for us and he died for us and he sent it for us and he's coming back again for us. And, you know, we have that truth. The only problem is we haven't done a good job sharing it. So we have to make that clear because, trust me, people want to know. They will thank you for sharing it with them. Because they will say, I've been searching for this for 40 years and I have not, I've tried all these different things. And that, that's what people do. You know, we talk about, you know, Christian's church shop. You know, moving to a new area or something. You'd go to 10 different churches or whatever and then finally find the one you like. Um, most people will religion shop. They'll become Hindu for a couple of years and uh, they realize that's not fulfilling and they'll you know follow the reigns of Confucius and well that's not it and you know, let's try this Islam thing and yeah you know, they just they just they're floundering they're just floundering and that's that's what what Pilate is doing so we need to be convinced that I have the truth let's join hands and I'll lead you to Jesus. Doesn't Jesus say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life? Singular. What they believe out there is that there are many truths. And that I just have to find my personal truth. And that's why they're experimenting with all these different things. Now, that is an ingenious plot of the devil. Offering so many truths out there that most people will never find it. Wow. A great plan. So you and I as light-bearing people then need to let that light shine. Let's not hide it under a, bu a bushel. Let's put it on a hill so that people can see it. But we need to have a really good understanding of who Jesus is before we're broadcasting light. So this truth is not simply Jesus pointing out to us what true things are. 
Oh, there's truth over there, right? It's not, that's not what we're talking about here. Jesus is saying, I am the truth. It's personal. Jesus himself is the truth. And Jesus has already, already shared with us. His voice and his words are God's voice and God's words. So this is not a practical truth, a physical truth. This is a theological truth. <coughs> and again, on a level that most people are not looking for. We see the truth, we see God. So Pilate simply cannot believe that there is one truth for all humanity. You know, the Roman religion was, I mean, literally anybody could make up any god they wanted at any time. And just add it to the mix, and maybe some others would like that kind of a god too. It's pretty much the same principles as uh, Hinduism. They're up to about 35,000 gods. A couple big ones that everybody has to believe in. And then after that, just, hey, it's a smorgasbord. 35,000 gods. Wow. And that's a lot like what the Romans were. And again, when Christians are being arrested and brought to trial, they were not asked to renounce their faith in Jesus. To them, Jesus is just another God. And we don't care. There's no limit. We keep adding new gods. If you guys want to believe in Jesus, fine. But the one common God you must have as a Roman, living in our provinces, is that you must bow down and worship the emperor. So it's the emperor and Jesus. But Christians know, you shall have no other gods before me, right? Rats. So we're not allowed to combine. Which in the Old Testament, you can see the Jews did constantly. When, there were, uh, when the Jews experienced a drought, they're looking at neighboring countries and realizing, oh, geez, their crops are all good and flourishing and all of that, and uh, their God must be better than ours. So they start integrating these other gods into the pure Jewish religion, <laughs> and then God gets really mad, and then the drought gets really bad. <laughs> and they can't, but time and time and time and time and time again, they do that. So it is just God, period. And that's why so many Christians died, because they refused to bow down and worship the emperor. Much, much like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember the 90-foot gold statue and all that? Everybody on the plane, bow down when we blow the horns, right? Three guys are still standing. Couldn't miss that. So Nebuchadnezzar gives them another chance. We're going to do it one more time. Bow down, and we're all good to go. Nope, not going to do it. And you leave me no choice, I've got to throw you into the fiery furnace. Okay. And... Apparently there's Jesus in the fiery furnace with them, protecting him. I remember their clothing was not it didn't smell like smoke, and the the the, the fringe of their, their clothing wasn't even burned. <laughs> they were totally, totally protected. That's what the truth will do. But we need to understand that there is one truth. If there are multiple truths, then it's not truth. But in this day and age, this, this, everything's me, 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 me. Everything's personalized for me. That plays right into the mindset of current America. Because they've been taught that. Everything is custom tailored for me. And I deserve it. So all I have to do is find my personal truth. It doesn't work. 
Now in the next chapter, we're going to see a whole bunch of Pilate working really hard to get Jesus released. And he's going to say two times, Jesus is innocent. I find no charge against him. You've brought nothing credible for me to bring anything against Jesus. Pilate is adamant. But we all know how that turned out. So to pacify the crowd, distract them a bit, uh, during this Passover celebration was the Roman custom to release a prisoner back into the wild. And frankly, yes, I'm sure 50% of the people that were in jail were unjustly placed there. <laughs> the Romans just didn't like it and they threw you in jail. So typically they would pick somebody that really was very innocent and you know, didn't deserve to be in there. And, uh, uh, but in this case, as Pilate makes the, the, this offer, thinking that, well, Jesus, you know, there's no crime against him, so they'll pick somebody, you know, all, hopefully they'll, they'll find somebody that's really, really bad, and why would you want that guy? But the crowd, the crowd actually identifies Barabbas. And what we know, I mean, it says he's taken part in the rebellion, it says he was a murderer, and the other gospels say he was a murderer, he's a really bad guy. Uh, you want this guy on your streets? You know, nice guy Jesus or a murderer. Who in the right mind is going to pick the murderer? But that's what they want. But it's, this is so strange. Because Barabbas is not a name. It's a title. You have to have a name. He doesn't, this isn't a name. In Hebrew, Bar, B-A-R, means son of. So this is son of Abbas. But what's his name? So back in this day, you didn't have last names. You just had a name. But then you were identified as either from what, what town city you're from, Jesus of Nazareth, Mary Magdalene, Magdalene is not her last name. There's a town called Magdala. She's a Magdalene, right? So apparently, fortunately, there's only, there seemed to be a thousand Marys, but there was only one Mary in Magdala. Okay, she gets the title, right? So that's how it went. So you're known by the, the town or city you're from, or you're known as your father's son, which would be the, the bar, something after that. So, what this is telling us is that, and we see clues of this in, in the other Gospels, is that Barabbas, his actual name is Jesus. It was a very common name in that day. Je Jesus and Joshua have the same Hebrew letters in common. Just one little, little squiggle that makes it, makes it different. But Jesus was an incredibly common name. Lots of Jesus is like Mary's running around. So now Pilate is putting forth two Jesuses. Which one do you want? Uh, it's a lot more clear in the other Gospels. You know, it's, it's, you know, do, you want, do, you, do you want this Jesus called Barabbas or do you want this Jesus of Nazareth? Jesus, the Son of God. But he's very clear in distinguishing who he's talking about here. 
But the crowd overwhelms Pilate so that at this point, the only choice Pilate sees is to release this dangerous criminal Barabbas. And then we're going to see unfold here in the next chapter, Pilate has no choice but to release Jesus to the Jews and tells them, go do with them whatever you want. The other Gospels record that it was at that point that Pilate washes his hands. Figuratively, you know, this, this is all on you guys. Which is interesting because when the now famous movie, The Passion of the Christ, the Mel Gibson movie came out some years ago, uh, the Jewish leadership were really up in arms and, I mean, they're on talk shows and slamming this movie and everything because they're saying this makes it look like all oh, this was our fault well duh <laughs> just follow what scripture teaches right I mean they don't want to be a scapegoat but it's I mean could it be any more clear Pilate is trying everything he can to get Jesus off the hook it's the, the Pharisees the leaders that keep saying crucify him crucify him crucify him so it's you know they they didn't do themselves any good there. I mean, this is this is what Scripture says, and this is what 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 we go with. And it's got to be somebody's fault, but it wasn't the Romans. Pilate just had no other choice at this point. So there's chapter 18, all kinds of stuff. Jesus speaking the truth, Pilate denying everything. Wee. What other thoughts or questions do you have in chapter 18? First, the information Jesus was Barabbas named. That, that historical it's, record. Yes, it's in it's in the Roman Roman historical records. But like I say, the way it plays out, especially in the other Gospels, you can see clearly that Pilate has two guys standing here, and I've got to distinguish. So he goes to great length to identify, you know, this guy and this guy. Yeah, it's because like I say, if you just read it, you think, why is he why is he spending that much time with it? It's 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 too much. It's it's odd. To spend the, the, that many words trying to identify, got two guys here. Which guy do you want? But he, you know, he's really trying to get Jesus off. You want this really, really bad guy? Or you want this really, really good guy? Give us the bad guy. They say, yeah. Other thoughts? Back on verse eleven, you said that Jesus asked Peter, "What are you trying to do? Stop my father's will?" Are we guilty of that? I'm sure in a sense. Maybe not so pronounced as pulling out a sword, but uh, <laughs> but yes, that we can. And, and I, I think I've been saying that with you guys for, for quite some time. Uh, I mean, we've spent a lot of time talking about, about Pharisees, and John has been clear in, in establishing them as the Jews, as the, the system that is organized against the will of God. They say that they are promoting the will of God, but in fact they are you know, stopping it at every turn. Um, and that's what I've been, been saying, is that we need to be careful that we're not doing that either. Through our system of worship, through our system of everything we do here in the church, and everything we do in our personal lives. Personally is what it, where I was yeah. with it. When you're praying for something, the will of God enters our prayer somehow, whether they're answered or not answered the way we want them 
I think the will of God has to be in there. He just doesn't give you everything, anything, all things, willy-nilly. Mm -hmm. Some of it is his will. And I'm wondering if our prayers are hindered because we don't know the will of God or we don't sense the will of God. And that very well could be because we're not willing to listen. Yeah, I've, I, I've certainly concluded that, that prayer is predominantly listening for the will of God. So that, yeah, but most people don't want to take time to, to pray, uh, which I have a very good book up in my library called Not Taking Time to Pray. <laughs> um, so we go rushing in and, you know, here's my laundry list, God, you know, this person, that person, and all that, that serious situation and all that. And, uh, Thanks, God. Bye. And we go on with our day. Uh, when, in fact, prayer is supposed to be constant, day and night, so that you know, the last thought as you go to sleep at night should be God, which kind of, in my mind, keeps the, the, the conduit open <laughs> between us and God. And that's why you know, there are dreams, and you know, the God, God reveals his will through dreams, even, you know, on several occasions. That if you're attuned to God as you go to sleep, that's going to keep... Keep that pipeline open and, and the will of God will continue to flow through you even as you sleep and you wake up in the morning and, you know, have a better understanding of things. But it's supposed to be constant as opposed to the the 15-second prayer um, that, that we often throw up like like uh, God is Santa Claus. Yeah. Here's my list. And take care of that, please. Amen. Um, so and I, I think the best example of that is, is Jesus in Gethsemane in the other Gospels that... I mean, he's there for a period of, you know, the counts off the hours. So he's there for three hours. But he actually speaks in three hours about 12 seconds. <laughs> if you slow it down, maybe 15 seconds. So that prayer is two hours, 59 minutes, and 45 seconds long. <laughs> Listening. Not saying a word. Because that's the tone of the prayer, isn't it? If this, if, if possible... Take this cup away from me, but not my will, but yours be done, you see. So, yes, there needs to be that coming into prayer. The beginning of prayer is our mindset of, I need to discover the will of God. Especially in situations where we don't know, you know, there's two conflicting thoughts or whatever, two paths we could go down, you know, something like that. I mean, yeah. You go in and, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, God, yeah, I'm liking this path a whole lot better than the other one. <laughs> I think that's kind of what Jesus said in Gethsemane. But you tell me what, and I'll wait. Now, does that mean you have to be on your, your, your knees with your, your, your hands folded and your eyes closed for, for the next, next six weeks till you get an answer? No, because you're supposed to be praying constantly anyway, which means you're, you're, you're listening. So when it says prayer, it doesn't mean that you're talking God's ear off. In fact, the exact opposite. You're listening to God as you drive, as you're as you're doing doing whatever. I mean, I'm even listening as I'm as I'm preaching. I'm really loud, and you wouldn't think anything would get in, but it's amazing to me what 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 comes in as I'm preaching. And um, <coughs> that happened uh, a couple times just this last Sunday. It happens virtually every week, but uh, you know, I mean. I have a good idea what, what God has led, led me to say. And then Sunday morning, 8 o'clock, just all of a sudden, a couple, couple new things popping. Okay. And they're out of my mouth before I even know I'm saying it. So it's, I can't be held responsible. So. 
Um, yeah, when you're done, you don't really know what you did say. That's right. <laughs> what would our prayers be like if we did know the will of God? Well, that Oswald Chambers book, you know, entitled The Will of God, I think is a classic treatise on that. That's from, what, the 40s, the 50s? <laughs> I mean, it's, that goes back quite a, quite a ways. But, um, yeah, it's, that's the purpose, though. So going back to our conversation about prayer last week was, you know, when you're, you're, you're someone's sick or you're dying or whatever and you don't know what to pray, it, yeah, the prayer should be as you're there before you formally start praying is to, God, I, you know, this tough situation here, I don't know what to, what, what to say, what to pray, what to, how to help these loved ones in this, this difficult time, you know, uh, I, I want them to know your will as well, so please tell me what what I need to to share with them. And uh, because that's right out of scripture, you know, especially when you're brought before a court, you know, for being a Christian, Jesus, what's he say? Don't lawyer up and figure out what you're going to say. <laughs> just you know, just go in there. I'll give you the words to say if you're willing to ask. Right. So, yeah, there, there is certainly a great sense of mystery of the will of God, but by the same token, I get a strong sense that God really wants us to know it. So it's, it is a mixed bag. But, yeah, we need to do a better job with that. But I, I think the first step of that is just to change the mindset of prayer. It's, it's not me going in and telling God what's what. Because guess what? God already knows. <laughs> and God's sitting there twiddling the thumbs. All right, get to something. You know, tell me something I don't know. You know, doesn't it say that, you know, that the Spirit even knows what we're going to pray about before we pray it? <laughs> so like I say, this isn't any, any you know, deep secret to God. We're not letting, hey, God, you know, put our arm around God, you know, take him into quarters somewhere, and, you know, you wouldn't believe what, you know. Uh, God already knows all of that. So what prayer is then is us to discover what God wants us to do about that situation. It's a main vehicle for us to, find, to seek him. That's pretty much it. Yeah. I mean, the Bible says if you if you want wisdom, ask for it. I give it to you. Yes. And so we we have that. We know that's one thing God's will when when we ask for it. And that should help us when we pray. To if we've got God's wisdom, that helps us. I think. I mean, I sometimes pray for the wrong thing. I know, but it should help us to to be wise in what we ask for and. You know. Yep. Now, I, re I really like that because I mean, how many times have we come across where yeah, we have to obey what we're what we're told? So, you know, the will of God. That's what I'm saying is not so mysterious in the sense that we don't know anything. We have all of this. So once we know that, then we know okay, this is the will of God. Therefore, that's the way I need to conduct myself. And so yes, we're given instruction about prayer, how to do it. Um, Jesus also tells us how not to pray. Right? You don't stand out in a corner and make yourself look good and use a bunch of big highfalutin words and everything, and you know make people think, well, he's really smart. Um, you're much better off just bowing your head and saying, you know, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. <laughs> that's a much more effective prayer than than uh, something fancy. And uh, so yeah, so we, we get both both angles up, but again, it's all clearly shared with us here. So yeah, that's I really like that. Th I mean, this is the printed word here is the will of God. So once we know that better, that will help us to be more effective in our prayers, and that's much more effective servants of Christ. Yeah, yeah. But it's a it's a learning process, isn't it? 
And I, I, I hear you're saying, I, I wish I had a better handle on this. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like and, one step forward and two back. Yep. You know, you think you've got something about half right, and that, oh, no, I don't think so. Would, would the rest of the group like to say an amen to that? <laughs> right? Don't, don't we all feel the same way? So, yeah, so you're certainly not alone in this. And that's, that, I, 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 I believe that's, that's one of the great, great joys of being a Christian, is just knowing that I'm never going to, know everything i'm never you know i mean it just yeah you know, to, to think that there's a final you know you know guru up on a mountaintop somewhere that if i just make it that far i'll, I'll know everything i need to know that yeah it's just it, it it's just it's a growing process yeah, and there's scriptures that back that up that one about i see dimly yeah but yeah. someday i'll see clearly that's that's days. paul for crying out loud <laughs> I mean, that's a good one to hang on to yep. i don't get this but i will one yeah day. that's first corinthians 13 when he's talking yeah. about love yeah it says so yeah is Great a Christian, our greatest Christian ever lived, you know, admitting that I don't get this either. Yeah, you know, this is still a learning process for me, and I'm still growing in this and developing. And yeah, you just you go with what you got, and that and that's that's the beauty of the church is that you know we're all at different levels in this process, yeah, you know, along this spectrum, and that's fine. But the one goal we do need to share in common is that we 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 all say that. I'm not content with where I am. I need to. I need to grow. See ya. Do some good ministry. I've had it. I'm out. Of here. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll pray for you, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's off to a funeral. So, but yeah, that's. I mean, so, and I, I, I think the ideal example of that is Jesus with these disciples at the Last Supper. He declares them clean already, but they're obvious, a lot dumber than any of us, <laughs> and they don't get it. But here's Jesus, full of grace, and it's just, okay. We're going to get this. I mean, you know, it's just let's. But we do need to understand that we need to push ourselves and and grow. And again, you know, the beauty of this this Bible study, um, I I I would hazard to think where I would be in this relationship with Christ if I didn't have you guys meeting here on a week-to-week basis because really true you, you you help me more than i'm helping you so i'm just i'm i'm, I'm here to be selfish and, <laughs> and suck out of you guys all kinds of good things so but really i mean that's that's what it is but you know just a simple willingness i'm, I'm going to take this time and i'm going to get in my car and i'm going to come to church and i'm going to do this and eat donuts and just share and 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 listen how helpful that is as opposed to doing something else Avoiding it. Yeah, we, we just got to take time. Is it 24 hours a day, you got to have your face, you know, in a in a book and reading about this stuff. No, but what you do know, you start to apply, and then you realize, boy, I need to know more. And then you come back and you learn a little bit more, and then you apply that and you keep, because you know, the, the the more you're trying to serve Christ, the more you realize, man, I need, I need some firmer footing here. I need need some solid ground underneath. I need to really build upon this 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 foundation even more. Neat stuff. Anything else in chapter 18? Well, let's get a little bit into 19, shall we? Look at that we're moving along. Yeah, I really would like to uh, have, have some time, as I always like to do, when we get to the end end. Yeah, I don't want us to finish chapter 21 and not have some time to process the whole thing. So, uh, I... Yeah, we need time to put all that together. So yeah, so if we cover a little over a chapter a week here, we're going to be right on schedule. So we're looking good.
Chapter 19, not your most fun chapter, is it? A um, lot of pain in just the first three verses. Now, the, the flogging is really better described in the other Gospels again. John kind of just th throws it out there. Uh, but we learn in the other Gospels, this is 39 lashes. Now, it's not with a wet noodle. It's 39 lashes because the Romans determined 40 would kill you. So that's the severity of this. Now, not to be gross, but you do need to understand what this was. And the Romans are masters at torture. This is a whip that has anywhere between 12 and 15 tentacles, leather tentacles coming out. And at the end of each leather tentacle is tied a piece of sharp bone or a piece of sharp glass. The glass tears the flesh, the bone digs in like a, like a fish hook. So that every 39 times then, it's stuck in there and you literally have to, to yank it out. So the glass cuts the skin, the bone digs into the muscle and just shreds is the purpose. The reality is, according to Roman records, that 39 lashes was so severe and dug in so so severely that you could in many victims you could actually see the internal organs literally tore all the flesh away and then on top of that again the severity of that you know one more yeah you're dead I mean talk about being close to death here verse 2 they construct a crown of thorns and place it on his head. And the other Gospels tell us then that they, they, they took big sticks and pounded it into the thorns into his head. Now, these aren't briar bushes like we have here. The, the palm tree thorns was an actual bush. Um, the thorns on that were 12 inches long. And again, now it wouldn't be driven through the skull, but driven under, under the skin and stuck there. Then they place the purple robe on him and mock him. Uh, now, you know, if you have an open wound and put a Band-Aid over it, it adheres. You go to tear it off, you open the wound again. That would have been the effect of that, that, that purple robe. Just simply re reopening the entire wound in the back. Was the purple just part of the mockery, the color? Yeah, yeah, it was, pur purple's a royal color, right. and uh, yeah, yeah, it was, okay. yeah, height, heightening, yeah, here's your crown, here's your robe, you're, 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 and they, they, they bow down literally before him as if he were the, the king. And then on top of all that, verse 3, the soldiers mocked Jesus and hit him in the face. Why go through all that when yep. much help? He he has him flogged to then be able to stand him before the crowd and say, "This is it." In this enough, and you and I would have looked at that and said, "Yeah." I mean, let's face it. I mean, it, how could you live after that? Really? I mean, you, it, that that would become infected. Yeah, a week later, you'd be dead anyway. I mean, there's, there's no way you can survive that. 
being tore tore apart that 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 severely. It's just ridiculous. But that, that, but that that's why Pilate did it was to you know, be able to you know, without killing him to at least stand before and and expect mercy from the crowd. It's like you really don't want to kill this guy now, do you? Yeah, we do. Yeah, very good point. So verse 4, again, Pilate appears and appeals to the crowd and the Pharisees in particular. I find no basis of a charge against him. Pilate has Jesus come out and shows him, look what I did to him. That's got to be enough. Verse 6, nope. All the religious leaders join in one voice demanding that Pilate give the order to crucify Jesus. But Pilate still wants no part of it. But basically, at this point, gives permission to the Jews to crucify Jesus. Again, Pilate states, I find no charge against him. Verse 7, the Jews explain that Jewish law demands that Jesus be crucified because he is guilty of blasphemy. He claims to be the Son of God. That was a dumb move on their part, because they'd already... Got Pilate at least to consider that he's an enemy of the state. Again, bringing a Jewish religious crime means nothing to Pilate. But now, interesting, verse 8 says that Pilate now is even more afraid. What, what is Pilate more afraid of? After hearing what the Pharisees just said. The political end of this? He's He's really going against his government by letting them crucify him because right, he's, it has not sinned against the government. He's greatly torn, yeah. But if I don't crucify him, I'm going to have a massive riot and right. many more people are going to die. Um, what else could I be more, more afraid of? Well, in fact, it, Christ is telling the truth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's interviewed him and he's talked to him and he sees well, something he in sees, Jesus. It's pretty obvious. Well, he has the Holy Spirit in him. And Precisely. Maybe it's. You think, uh-oh, this is good. But at a sheer practical level, Pilate is absolutely convinced he has done nothing worthy of crucifixion. I mean, that's the bottom line. But being forced in it to keep the peace. Right. And. But I think that is he's afraid of not uh, mortal repu- retribution, but. Yeah. The higher form. So, but you have to go back to verse 7. That the Pharisees identify Jesus as the Son of God. Remember, Pilate's already said, what is truth? I mean, I I can see. I mean, it's just, gears are rolling in these. This guy's a pretty nice guy, and, you know, this this is just weird. I mean, he's he's got a lot of questions, but he's, he's starting to see what's really happening here but realizing it's it's out of his hands he's he literally can do nothing nothing about it remember from one of the other gospels um pilate's wife had a dream about jesus remember that so that that too would have added added to being even more afraid that i mean it's just he's looking at this and it just wow you know my wife said you know don't do anything this guy you know i, I just so yeah, so, you know, what Don's saying. I mean, it's just it, this is a runaway train at this point, and Pilate is you know can do nothing. He can't slow it down. He can't steer it. He can't do anything with it. It's just it, it it's gone at this point. He he realizes that. <coughs> Verse 
But he's really, really afraid now because he knows that these guys are going to win. And Jesus is going to be crucified. Wouldn't you have to wonder, too, if this is how it is in the name of religion? I mean, even the idea that when is enough enough yeah. from a religious person? Because with... Under the guise of religion, you think there would be a little mercy, a little, <laughs> right? Yes, you're exactly right. That, but again, the system has to protect itself. That's the highest order. Now, it's an evil order, but in their mind, that's, that's the way they're thinking. What, what, what do we have to do to keep what we have? And remember... At Palm Sunday, the whole world has gone after him. So now we've got to double up our efforts because you know, everybody's heard about this Lazarus guy. Remember they designed, you know, we've got to kill Lazarus too. So I wish we had that in there because Lazarus might already be dead by this point. But I, I strongly suspect they went after Lazarus very, very quickly. So Pilate's really, really afraid. And he goes back inside the palace. So he wants to talk to Jesus. Verse 9, another question. Where do you come from? Uh, yeah, at this point, Pilate, I, I think, is really searching. Because he's asking such open-ended questions. I mean, they're, they're not incriminatory questions. Right? It's just, yeah, help me understand this. <laughs> it's like, yeah, because he knows at this point, this is out of my control. But, yeah, who in the world are you? Where do you come from? I, I really suspect since the, the Pharisee just said that, Pilate, Pilate's starting to believe Jesus is truly the Son of God. So he's trying to get Jesus to say, I've come from heaven. Right? He's kind of baiting him into that. But Jesus gives no answer. Mine it does. He says, Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if well, it were not yeah. given to you from above. Right. In other words, at this point... Is, is, he, is Jesus saying it's, it's, it's past you now? Right. It's, mm -hmm. Well, and your, your power is from God. It's not from other human beings. Whose power, his power was that? Uh, Pilate's power. power. Yes, because that's, that's in Scripture too. Is there, you know, all, all leaders in the world are there because God puts them there. Mm -hmm. So Hitler, you know, everybody else, I mean, are there for... A reason. Lord knows what that is, but uh, you know, that's all part of the plan. So Pilate is, is the guy there at the time by design. And uh, but Jesus doesn't answer his direct question where did he come from? He just gives him another another answer all 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 together. Verse ten, the Pilate appeals to Jesus to help him help Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Give me something. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm trying to help you here, buddy. Why won't you answer me? Don't you understand that I have the power over you of life and death? But Jesus already explained this in the last chapter about real truth, but now he's going to share with Pilate what real power is. Chapter 18 was real truth. Now he's going to talk about real power, which is what Pilate needs here. Remember, he, Pilate asked what is truth. Jesus explained that. Now Pilate is asking, well, I have power. Tell me about power. So Jesus tells him that the only real power is that from God. 
Jesus also says that Pilate has no power of life and death over Jesus because Jesus is willingly giving his life. It's not taken from him. Verse 11, here Jesus confirms what we find in other places in Scripture. That every leader in the world is there because God makes it possible for that to happen. So this is really interesting here. Jesus is basically saying that although Pilate is guilty of the sin of not recognizing him as the Messiah, he refers to, quote, the one who handed me over to you. Kind of cryptic. Could be Judas, but again going back to the system in place. Specifically, the one who handed Jesus over to Pilate, go back to the previous chapter, it's Caiaphas, right? The leader of the system against me. And Jesus identifies that as a much worse sin. Because a system is not a single sin. Jesus is saying, Pilate, you're, you're, you're basically guilty of one sin, but these guys are guilty of a whole raft of sins. Because one leads to another, to another, to another, to another, to another. Just all the plotting and scheming and lying and everything else that they're doing um, is, is not good. So even though we've always said that you know, sin is sin, there are those compounded sins. So Jesus says it's not, it's not, not worse, but it is worse because there's multiple sins here represented as opposed to, Pilate, you're, you're one sin. He's guilty of a greater sin, a compounded sin. What do you think Pilate was thinking at that moment? I mean, that's huge. What do you think? I don't know. <laughs> that's why I'm asking. Yeah, but I don't want to leave without knowing. So. Yeah. What do you... What do you after, after hearing about the, the, yeah, the power? Yeah, have the... to be all over the place right now. I mean, absolutely not knowing what to do. Do you think Jesus was leading him to know what to do? Oh, certainly. That's what Jesus does. But he, even with Pilate growing up in all these gods, and that's all he knew. But again, the Holy Spirit in him is kind of helping him to understand this truth. And he's, he's, he's genuinely grasping here. I mean, he's really reached out. Like I say, history bears out that sometime later he did become a Christian. So, um, yeah, it, it took him a while. It took Nicodemus quite a while too. But eventually, yeah, the seeds are planted here. Obviously, that uh, yeah, Pilate just does not know what to do with all this. It's just yeah, you know, with all the the stress of you know everything that's happening around and all of that, and then you know trying to help Jesus, and it just it's it's more more than he can bear. I should think Pilate felt a little better after this comment. That's what I was thinking. Whenever well, Jesus kind of left him off the hook. Yeah. Yeah, you did wrong, but boy, they did a lot worse. Yeah. It's so that could have lifted that a little from there. And that's the last question Pilate asked too. So that's yeah, that might wow. might have might have satisfied him. And uh, okay, now now or I get maybe, it. Maybe he thought he had no more control over. I think yes, definitely by this point he, he realizes this is it's a foregone conclusion. Yes. Yeah. I can't I can't stop this, I can't help you, I can't do anything. Um, so basically Jesus give me absolution. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, certainly Jesus understands that. Because he's he said in front of Jesus, yeah, I find no crime against him, no no charge has been brought and uh, and all that. The message says the same thing, just a little different wording. It says 
You haven't a shred of authority, Jesus is speaking, over me except what has been given you from heaven. Yes. It says right out, from heaven. Yeah. That's why the one who betrayed me to you has committed a far greater sin. Yeah. It says the same thing, but it just makes it a little bit clearer, yeah. but I think you probably felt better if you could. wonder how he felt about the resurrection. Yeah, there well, should be something in here that, you know, what, what his reaction was whenever he found out. Somebody should have followed up on that. But the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, the, you know, but remember, guards were placed there by Pilate mm -hmm. to guard the sealed tomb. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, so he knew. Now, nuts. It was the... It was Caiaphas and the Jewish officials who got to the guards first and paid them off to say that the, uh, um, the, the disciples overpowered us and stole the body. Yeah. How long was this ruler in authority after that resurrection? Do we know that? I could check on that. You know, he may have just took off right then. Yeah. I would have. <laughs> Next train out of town. <laughs> I think it'd be interesting to know that. Yeah. Was washing, he washed his hands. Did that show yeah. he was sorry, or was that just an usual thing people did too? I mean, he didn't just walk away and say, well, whatever. It's well, like he washed his hands. Well, we, we still use that expression today, meaning yeah. there's nothing more I can do about this. And I think that's what, what Alan was saying. It's, you know, at, right here at this point, he knows he has no more power. That's why he's asking the power question. But he, he has no more power. He has no more control of this. So his only conclusion is, I wash my hands of it. You guys go and do whatever you want. But, but, it, but it didn't necessarily make you think he was sorry. No, it's just more of a resignation that I'm, I'm between a rock and a hard place, and I, I, I cannot get out of this. And, uh, but he's basically saying, this is not me doing this. If this happens, you're the ones doing it. So again, Mel Gibson got it right. <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah, I mean, the, the Romans really literally had, had nothing to do with this. It was an internal Jewish squabble that uh, got out of hand. But again, all the plan of God. God knew this was going to happen. Well, there's a good place to stop for the day. The sun's going to be coming out shortly. Birds are going to be singing. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.